Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled, Ye Are the Sons of the Living God. It shall be focused on a study of Hosea chapter 1. Before we go any further, we begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your scripture that teaches us that now we are the sons of God, living in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, may your word mold us today after your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day, that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again, and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass, that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together, and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham, titled, The Impersonation of Christianity. This was preached in 1957 on January the 27th. We will begin at paragraph 38 up to paragraph 76. I trust you find it to be a blessing. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet. And a prophet in the Bible was considered the eagle. Now, the eagle is a powerful bird, and he can fly much higher than any other bird because his, his makeup is different from the other birds. He can stand the, the altitude of high, and he goes way up in the air, and God likened his prophets to eagles. They were just made up that way. They would rise in the spirit and go way high. And they could see far off things coming. Then when they come down, they could tell what was in the making. 
And Ezekiel was one of God's eagles who could fly way up and see hundreds and hundreds of years to come. You know, it's like higher you go, the, the further you can see. And so the, the eagle has a, a real keen eye to go with that altitude. Because if you didn't have much of an eye, it wouldn't do him any good to go up high. He couldn't see very far. But the eagle's eye is far better than the hawk at any time. He can out see the hawk out flying any way he wants to. And he's way higher than the hawk. And I've studied uh, wildlife and, and birds. And one time, I was in Cincinnati down here at the big zoo. Many of you have been there. And they just got an eagle and threw him into uh, the cage. And that poor bird, I sure felt sorry for him. He would jump against those bars with everything that he had. He beat the feathers off of his head, the wing feathers off of his wings. He'd flop into it like that, trying to fly out. And he'd hit the bars and fall back and lay there on his back. And then my eyes would search across the sky. And I thought, oh, what a miserable thing that poor bird is. For he was built, made to be a heaven-flying bird. And here he was trapped for the rest of his life in a little cage. And to know that he could look and see the things that in the places where he longed to be. But he could not get out of this cage. I thought, what a miserable person or bird he must be. I thought that's about one of the most saddest sights I ever seen. But then as turning around, I've seen a sadder sight. That is the sons of Adam who were made to be the sons of God, beating their brains out, trying to find pleasure to satisfy in this life. And knowing that they were born to be sons of the living God. And they just simply beat themselves to death, running here and running there and shooting each other, gambling and stealing and robbing from one another when they were really born to be sons of God. That's the saddest sight I ever seen is man imprisoned by sin. But there's one thing about it. There could be such a thing as some kind-hearted person let that eagle out of it. And I'm so happy to say to the sons of Adam this afternoon that there has been a kind-hearted person come to the sons of Adam, the Lord Jesus, who will let everyone go free that wants to go. It's up to you. Now, we find so many people trying to impersonate Christianity. Christianity is, doesn't mean 
joining a church, Christianity is an experience. Someone has said to me, well, it was at Little Rock, Arkansas. We were in the Robinson Memorial Auditorium, and the people had gathered and packed into the streets, and the Lord was giving a great revival. And there had been a brother who was a Nazarene, was at the platform, and he had sold pencils on the street, and he had um, crutches that he had walked on for years. He'd stand on these crutches with his hat out and have pencils to sell. A beggar. And when the Lord in his divine providence, wisdom, and grace to the man showed a vision, told him about what something had happened, and the man was instantly healed. And the next day he had a big sign on those crutches, walking down the street like this, packing it around showing everybody, these old buddies used to support me, now I'm leaning on the everlasting arm. And he was of the Lord Jesus, and he was so enthused. And when he come back to the service that night, he was sitting up in a balcony, something like that, and the best I remember, it's got two, maybe, maybe two or three balconies. And anyhow... I was just beginning to speak as now, and he was just so carried away, the poor old brother, till he raised up and he said, Brother Brown, I want to ask you something. I said, Yes, brother. He said, I heard you preaching, and I just knew you was a Nazarene. <laughs> and he said, Then I hear you, somebody else said that you was a Baptist. And said, then I see all around you is Pentecostal. Said, what are you, Brother Brandon? I said, that's easy. I'm a Pentecostal Nazarene Baptist. <laughs> Christianity is a lie. Pentecost is, it, I know they've organized the word Pentecost and just capitalized on the name. But Pentecost is an experience, not a denomination. Pentecost belongs with the Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Nazarenes, all of them. Pentecost is an experience. And it seems to be that some people have such a hard time trying to live a Christian life. When really, it isn't. That, it is, someone said, when I come out of my great trials that time, I had your lost wife, baby, and everything, said, Brother Brandon, did you keep your religion during that time? I said, no, sir, it kept me during that time. So that's what it's for. I can't keep Christ, he keeps me. It isn't whether I hang on, it's whether he held on. And it's a gift to me. And then when noticing that people have this hard time, there's got to be something wrong somewhere. Now, if the Christian religion only consists of a declaration of a creed, denomination, or intellectual 
then we don't need nothing but a real good, smart group of people. That's all we need. If the church is to be governed by an intellectual, now intellectual's all right. You can receive the word intellectually, but let it soak down due to the heart. That's where it, it begins to bring the results. Now, but if God meant for us to run his church by denominational or by creed, then the only thing we need is uh, the intelligence of a man. Smarter the man, better the church. But that was not God's program. God's program was for the Holy Ghost to run the church. The Holy Ghost was given for the church. And we can't have two faculties running the church at the same time. If man runs it, the Holy Ghost goes out. If the Holy Ghost runs it, usually the man goes out. So it's just one or the other. So we must come to this conclusion that God intends the Holy Spirit to run the church. Now, I don't mean just the Spirit gets up and preaches because the Holy Spirit sets people in the church for certain things. But I mean it's just the intellection is all it means. Notice. Now, Ezekiel speaking, he said how that he would put a new heart. Same chapter. Take away the old stony heart. And he'd give you a new spirit. And then he'd put his spirit in you. Now, the new heart does not mean uh, work up the old one. It doesn't mean that the church needs a facelifting. It means the church needs a birth. God's church don't need a polishing. It needs a conversion. That's right. Then, just to take the old church and set, say, well, I'll tell you, we'll change the deacon board. We'll swap pastors. That isn't what the church needs. It needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It needs the power of the living God. A revival doesn't mean to go out and get new members. A revival means to revive that what you've already got. You're not on go. Such a wonderful experience I had of that in Chicago. I was sending out to the great Lake Michigan, and I seen the waves of dashing into the air, and the foam of flying, and oh, what a time it was having, tossing the little ships about. And as I looked at it, I thought, what you so happy about? You got a revival. But I thought, you know what? You might be jumping and carrying on out there, but you haven't got a one more drop of water in you than you have when you're perfectly quiet. That's right. Just the same water, only you just got a revival. Now, what does the revival take? It takes the wind to come. Put a blowing. That's what the church needs, is some of that wind that fell on the day of Pentecost. Sweep down and revive it. Not a new Baptist, not a new Methodist, 
but a revival in the Baptist and the Methodist. And what does that kicking of the water do out there? It, it's for a purpose. It washes all the trash out of the water up on the bank. That's what a revival does. Kind of beats all the differences out of us. If we let the Holy Ghost do the beating. And then it makes us a difference. Clears it up. Clears up the water thing. Now, you can't just have a polishing time in the church as a revival. And I trust that after this meeting that there will be revivals everywhere through the city. I do. All over the country. I think it's revival time. And this great revival that we're speaking of has to come from heaven. It can't come by man. It wasn't born of man. It's born of God, and it has to come from God. And uh, you can't put this revival in an old theology and mix it up. Jesus said that in St. Luke. You can't put new wine in old bottles. I often wondered why that statement was made. Why you can't put new wine in old bottles. I come to find out that I said, look, here we got a glass jug or bottle. Why couldn't I put new wine in there? It seems a good old wine in it. But I find out that back in the days when Jesus was speaking, uh, the bottles wasn't made of glass. They didn't have the glass floors in those days. And they were made out of an animal skin. And the animal skin had been tanned and was sewed up or tied up, and they put the, the wine and the water, the liquid, in a skin bottle. And then as that bottle becomes so old, until it's no wine in it or anything, it dried out. The animal oil of the skin left it. And it, then it got hard and stiff. And I see what Jesus meant then. If you put new wine, unpermitted wine, into a bottle like that, and that new wine had life in it, and it went to working, and for many, it would burst the bottle. And that's the way you take the baptism of the Holy Ghost and put it in an old dry form of cowhide, it'll blow up as sure as the world. You just can't have it like that. You try to place the baptism of the Holy Ghost with an old experience of some long, drawn-out church experience, it'll grow up sure as the world. But new wine, said Jesus, goes in new bottles. The new bottles have still the animal uh, oil in the skin, and it's flexible. That's the way God's church must be for a revival. Flexible. You know, you could put the new wine, which represents the Word, put the new wine in an old bottle and read the Word, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. The old bottle will blow up. I don't believe it. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is just as real today as it ever was. I don't believe it. And what do you do? You spoil both bottle and wine. You're casting pearls before swine. 
Your message has gone to pieces and no one received it. They just blow it up and they, that's all there is to it. But you get new bottles and put the new Holy Ghost wine into it and the Word says it's working alive in the heart and it says Jesus Christ the same yesterday forever. The wine says Jesus is the same yesterday forever. The new bottle said Amen. Such as I said, Jesus Christ is wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. With his stripes we were healed, just the same yesterday and forever. The new bottle said, Amen. It spreads out with new life. Both of them is kept and preserved. So you can't put new wine into old bottles. On the day of Pentecost, God had 120 brand new Pentecostal bottles sitting with their necks up. And when the Holy Spirit fell from heaven, it filled those bottles and they bounced all over the place, preaching the gospel to the known world, declaring that Jesus Christ was the saint yesterday, today, and forever. As we get towards the end of this episode, we end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we see the impersonation of Christianity in the land today, how, Father, many are calling themselves by your name, calling themselves your bride, but without full obeisance to your word. But, Father, we come and we say, may your will be done in our lives. And we follow your word and we say, if there be any in, any, in us uncleanness or any guile or any... Lord, uh, misinterpretation of your scriptures or misunderstanding of your word, may you set us correct and set us on the right path that we might know the, the depths of your truths and live the depths of your truths and that your word might be imparted into our souls. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.